Hello, friends. You're listening to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I am Chris, the Communications Director here at Capital City, and I'm so glad that you're listening. In fact, I would love to chat with you. Send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I would get right back with you. Lots of people have heard about the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, or Saint Peter, as lots of the world calls him. Peter was one of the guys that Jesus recruited to follow him and share his story. In fact, Jesus said Peter would be instrumental in the founding of the church. It was also Peter, however, who was quick to deny he even knew who Jesus was when he was questioned. But there's more to Peter's story than just the high and the low. There's another scene with Peter after he denied knowing Jesus, and it may even feel familiar to a scene from your own life. And that's where today's message comes in. Here's our executive minister, John Sutphin, with the rest of the story. He was an iconic radio figure from years gone by. His ability to tell a story could pull you in and keep your attention no matter what was going on around you. His voice was almost mesmerizing, and his flair for the dramatic pause was second to none. And after sharing a story that left you wanting more, he wrapped it up by saying, and now you know the rest of the story. With that closing statement, I'm guessing that Paul Harvey thought his listeners knew at least a portion of the story, and he wanted to give them the rest of the story in his wonderful storytelling fashion. Now, I'm no Paul Harvey, but this morning, I'm guessing that you may know or have heard some of the story, and I hope that in our time together to bring you the rest of the story. I'm guessing Simon Peter was probably as low as you could get. He had messed up in a big way. He denied that he had ever known Jesus while those around him probably thought they were the best of friends. Peter was known for being brash and and doing some crazy, if not stupid, things in his time. Speaking out of turn, falling asleep in the garden, losing his faith, swinging a sword at a soldier. But this was probably the lowest of his moments. It was the kind of mistake that it's tough to come back from. It's tough to overcome when, when a friend needs you. And you're not there at that point. What made this situation the worse was that Peter had proclaimed that he would never leave Jesus. Even if everyone else were to tuck tail and run, he would not be like the rest of them. He was willing to die if he had to, to show his love for his friend. But when faced with a very difficult situation, Peter faltered. And it didn't happen just once or twice. No, it happened three times. And it was that final occurrence when he proclaimed, I swear, I don't know this man, that probably haunted him the most. And then to add to his problems and his guilt, it was at that moment that Peter looked up and saw Jesus being escorted by. I mean, can you imagine what ran through Peter's mind when he and Jesus connected eyes at that moment? Jesus didn't need to say a word. My guess is that Peter knew Jesus probably heard every word that came out of his mouth. And at just that moment, a rooster crowed off in the distance. And Peter was reminded of Jesus' words. You will deny me three times. Luke tells us in his book that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. After pulling himself together, he decided to check in on and see how things were going with his friend Jesus. I mean, I can only begin to imagine how devastated he must have been when he found out that Jesus had been convicted and condemned to die on a cross. I mean, can you imagine 
How he must have felt hearing that news, knowing what he had said and done. Do you think there was anyone there that day when Jesus was nailed to a cross that felt worse than Peter? For you see, it was only a few short years ago that he had decided to leave everything that he knew to come and follow Jesus. And now, look at him. What once he was proud to proclaim now has him looking like a fool to his enemies and a huge disappointment to those whom he had been on this journey with for three years. I wonder if he remembered Jesus' words, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Do you think the thought ran through Peter's mind of doing what his former friend and follower of Jesus, Judas, had done when he realized that he had messed up? Even though Peter had probably given up on himself at this moment, the good thing to know is that Jesus had not given up on Peter. It was early that morning when some ladies came bursting into the home where the disciples had gone into hiding for fear of what might happen to them. The tomb is empty, they proclaimed. The soldiers are gone. The stone has been moved. Two angels looked at us and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's alive. Did you catch that? Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's alive. Peter and John take off running towards the tomb as hard as they could. The story tells us that John beat Peter to the tomb, but, but John hesitated as he got there to the entrance of the tomb. When, when Peter called up, he came running right past John without hesitation and busted into the tomb. And there the two men saw the grave clothes lying on the rock, just as the ladies had told them. Scripture tells us that when John made his way in, and when he saw this, he believed Jesus was alive but that Peter left and went back home wondering what the meaning of all of this was. Later that day, something extraordinary happened in the life of Peter when Jesus showed up to him alone. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that after Jesus rose on the third day, as Scripture had said, that he appeared to Peter and then to the rest of the guys. Now, we don't know what happened when Jesus met his friend Peter that day. I'm guessing there were probably hugs that were exchanged. There were probably tears that were shed. There were probably apologies that were made. But the most important thing was that Peter now knew Jesus was alive and that he had not been forgotten. Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples later that day while they were gathered in the upper room. They were in hiding, meeting behind locked doors when suddenly Jesus shows up. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like for those guys? I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have been there on that first Easter Sunday morning to experience all of that? I mean, I can't wait to hear the disciples share that story one day in heaven. That's the first part of the story. Okay, let's get to it. And now the rest of the story. Several weeks have passed since that first encounter on that Easter morning. Peter and some of the guys are now in Galilee awaiting Jesus' arrival. John records the events around this meeting in chapter 21 of his book. So I invite you to grab your Bible, maybe open up your Bible app, or feel free to follow along with us here this morning as we'll have the scriptures on our teaching monitor. 
You know, I think a lot of us have probably lived lives similar to that of Peter. I mean, who of us here or watching can say that we have blown it when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? Unfortunately, a lot of us, myself included, have blown it big time and on more than one occasion. We have experienced some major setbacks in our lives, and we wonder if we are worthy of being considered a follower of Christ. How could God really want me after all that I've done wrong in my life? How can he use me after all the mistakes that I've made? Well, in this chapter, John lets us see that God can use those who have made huge mistakes, those who have royally messed up, those who have blown it in big ways, those who have been given up on by society, by family, by friends, and even by themselves. John chapter 21, verse 1. Read with me. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Probably not the first time that this has happened to these guys, but it's not a lot of fun to go out fishing all night and not catch anything. Been there and done that, and it makes for a long night, unless you were lucky enough to be fishing with Al Perry, who always had a can of pop and a moon pie stored away for slow nights. Verse 4, John writes, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, have you caught any fish? I love the way the Living Bible translates that question that Jesus asked like this. It says, Any fish, boys? <laughs> what do you think ran through their minds when they heard this person they didn't recognize call out, Any fish, boys? They've seen this kind of a thing before. They've been there all night. But they depended on fish for their livelihood and for their family's well-being. They needed to catch fish. You know, I love the game of golf. I enjoy playing golf. But you know what the worst four words a golfer can hear after putting the ball on the green? It's still your turn. <laughs> Those words remind you that you didn't do very well. Any fish boys? <laughs> and they reply back with a one-word answer, no. Not even a, no, nah, no luck tonight. Not even a, ah, we had a few that got away, just no. <laughs> Verse 6, Jesus said, well, why don't you throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, John tells us, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I wonder if this began to ring a bell for Peter. For you see, he had witnessed and been a part of a similar miracle when Christ first called him to come and follow. Who knows, maybe it happened in this very exact same spot. It appears that John knew immediately who was on the shore. John turns to Peter and says, It is the Lord. And look what Peter did. Do you remember the movie Forrest Gump? Forrest has bought this shrimp boat in memory of his good friend. He, he's cruising down the, the river one day when he notices a, a familiar figure sitting on the dock. It's Lieutenant Dan. And do you remember what he does? He jumped right out of the boat as it continued to putter on by and heads to the dock to see his friend. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard John say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his garment around him and jumped into the water. You know, this was not the first time that Peter has jumped out of the boat to go to Jesus. But unlike the first time, he didn't wait for Jesus to tell him to come. He just took off. He couldn't wait to see and be with his friend again. Even though he had blown it and failed him, he couldn't wait to be with him. Most of the time when we make mistakes, what's our tendency? It's usually to withdraw, isn't it? We don't want to be around people, or friends, family, the church. We don't want to pray, read our Bible because we don't think that we are worthy. Not Peter. He couldn't wait to get to Jesus. John tells us that the boat was some 100 yards from shore, but that didn't bother Peter. Now that he knew who was there, he wanted to go as quick as he could, and so he dove right in. John goes on to tell us that the rest of the guys landed the boat, and when they did, they saw a fire burning, and I'm assuming that Jesus and Peter were probably sitting there. Verse 10, Jesus calls out to him, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. I love Peter's enthusiasm and excitement here. I mean, he could have waited for them to bring some off the boat, but no. Verse 11 says, he climbed aboard the boat and dragged the net ashore himself. Peter was so excited to be with Jesus that he's not wanting to wait on the guys to, to do what Jesus has asked. So he goes and gets the fish and brings them himself. Let's jump down to verse 15. The story tells us that when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Jesus had numerous interactions with people in the Bible, but this, this right here might have been one of the most important conversations between Jesus and another person that takes place in the Bible. Psychologists tell us that to get over a deep wound from our past, that it is important for, for that wound to be confronted. Unfortunately, for many of us, we prefer to, to cover it up, to, to try to bury it in the past, to pretend that it didn't happen or to ignore the pain that it has brought to us. But until it is brought to light and dealt with, it will continue to trouble us and have us dreading that day that it does get brought back up or brought to light. John Andriot wrote an article in Psychology Today a few years ago entitled, You're Only as Sick as Your Secrets. Those who have been a part of Alcoholics Anonymous know that statement well. Andriot wrote, shame is a powerful force. It can undermine you by making you feel unlovable, he said. It can be exploited by others to manipulate you, to bend you to their will. And then he writes, but shame's power is completely dependent on secrecy. As soon as the secret lets, is let out, the boil is lanced and the burden of shame lightens. So Jesus didn't pretend that, that nothing had happened between himself and Peter. Instead, like a good psychologist, a good counselor, he begins to lead Peter through this painful time of denial so that he could overcome it. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is having this discussion with Peter around a fire? Do you think it was by accident? Do you remember where Peter was when he denied knowing Jesus that night before the crucifixion? Mark, Luke, and John tell us that he was warming himself by a fire when he got asked if he was a follower. Simon, do you truly love me more than these? 
I'm guessing that Jesus was probably referring to his buddies that may have still been on the boat or, or may have joined them by the fire for breakfast at this time. You remember when Peter proudly proclaimed, these others may turn their back on you, Lord, but I will never do something like that. Some may view this teaching moment as tough on Peter, but maybe Jesus was trying to get him to confront his prideful spirit when he asked in front of his friends, do you truly love me more than these guys do? I wonder how Peter responded. I mean, yeah, I know the words, but what was the expression on his face? What was his body language like that, that communicated to Jesus and those who were there that day? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, I'm not a Greek scholar like the other guy that you get to listen to here most of the time, but it was interesting to me that John used the Greek word agapao for love in the question that Jesus asked, but then he used the Greek word phileo when Peter responded. The Greeks had multiple meanings for words, and, and I don't know what lay behind John's usage of those words. That's why I wish I could have seen the expression on Peter's face and, and viewed his body language. Did his facial expression change? Did, did he fidget in his seat? Did his shoulders drop as the air got sucked right out of him with that question? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in response, Jesus tells him, feed my lambs. Now, we don't know how much time takes place between verse 15 and verse 16 in John's book, but Jesus asks him a similar question. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? It's similar, but it's not the same. For this time, Jesus drops the more than these from the question. In his commentary on the book of John, Gary Burge writes that with the first question, we are forced to examine the context to unravel the meaning of these. Is Jesus asking, do you love me more than these boats and fish? Or do you love me more than these men with whom you're working? These two options are relevant, Burge says, since Peter has rejoined his fishing career and now his, and now his friends are around him. Perhaps Jesus is calling him to make a choice. But now, Jesus has removed this part of the equation from the question. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Let's get all of the other stuff out of the way. Let's take all of the other stuff off of the table so that you're not distracted. Do you truly love me? What's his face saying now? What are Jesus and the other guys that are gathered around seeing? Unfortunately, we don't know. But just like the first time he got the question, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in response, Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Again, we don't know how much time passes between verse 16 and verse 17, but John records these words for us. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's a similar question, but yet just slightly different. For this time, Jesus leaves out the word truly. Question number true was, do you truly love me? And this time it's just, do you love me? I mean, it's easy to see why Jesus changed the focus from question one to question two, but I'm not sure why he makes such a slight change here. 
Maybe it's because he senses something in Peter's demeanor, in his voice, in his body language that we can't quite pick up on because we are not there. And unfortunately, John doesn't provide us that kind of info either. But do you love me? Maybe Jesus was trying to make the question as simple as possible to get Peter where he needed him to be. John says, Peter was hurt. Now there's a word that we can picture. You ever been hurt by a question that caused you to have to admit your guilt or that you had done something wrong? It's tough to be reminded of our failures, isn't it? It's tough being confronted by it. It's tough when it happens in front of family. And I'm guessing it's really tough when it happens in front of friends who remember words that you had said only a few weeks before. And it's really tough to have to answer, not just once or twice, but three or four or five times, isn't it? Yes, I'm certain Peter was hurt by the questions. Did the memory of the rooster crowing in the distance that night hit him? I don't know. But my guess is with a quiet, somber voice, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. No longer is it the loud and proud Peter. No longer the brash, confident, prideful man that called out, even if all of these leave you, Lord, you can count on me. Maybe Jesus had finally gotten him to where he needed him to be so that he could become all that Jesus knew he could be. And then one more time, Jesus encouraged him by saying, feed my sheep. Now, Jesus didn't have a literal herd of sheep that he needed Peter to tend to. I think he was reminding Simon of the interaction they had one day when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And Simon boldly announced, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And now I say that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. My church, my sheep. Jesus was reminding Simon Peter of all that Jesus knew he could be. Feed my sheep. John writes in verse 18, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with. And then he said to him, follow me. At this moment, Simon Peter was no longer the rock. He had hit rock bottom. But when he got to the other side of Easter, he was back. And on the day of Pentecost, which took took place just a few weeks after this interaction here in John's gospel. It is Peter who stands up as one of the primary spokesmen for the early church. Only a few months before, he was hiding in the shadows, hoping no one would recognize him. And when they did, he denied that he even knew Jesus. But after this encounter with Jesus on the beach that day, he now is standing in front of thousands of people saying, you crucified the Son of God, but God raised him from the dead and has made him Lord and Christ. Jesus and Peter have come full circle from where it all began some three years ago when he first heard those words, follow me. 
If you want to see the impact that this beach encounter had on Peter's life, I encourage you to look at Luke's writings in the book of Acts or, or check out the two books that Peter wrote that can be found in the New Testament. You know, tradition tells us that Peter was arrested late in life and was sentenced to die by crucifixion. Not believing that he was worthy to be crucified as his Lord and Savior, the story goes that he requested to be crucified upside down. You remember what Jesus said to him that day on the beach? When you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will lead you to where you do not want to go. And now you know the rest of the story. But what does that story have for you and me today? One simple lesson, that Jesus can resurrect us from the grave of defeat. Folks, there is nothing in your life that you have ever done that is so devastating that God won't take you back. There is no failure so final that Jesus Christ can't create life in you again. Richard Halverson said it best, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more and there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional, impartial, everlasting, infinite, perfect. Is the first part of your story like the first part of Peter's? Have you had an emotional, horrible emotional setback in your past? Did it leave you worn and weary and wondering if life is worth living? The marriage that you thought that would last a lifetime has, has fallen apart and you find yourself divorced and now alone. The job that you had been relying on to meet your financial needs has let you go. A loved one received devastating news and before you knew it, they were gone. Your family or friends who you were counting on, have disappointed you and walked away. If the risen Lord was standing on the shore and inviting you to come and eat with him, would you recognize him? Would you let him breathe new life into you so that you could become all that he intended for you to be? Maybe there's been a spiritual setback in your life. Maybe you've done something that is seriously wrong when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe there was an illicit relationship. Maybe there was substance abuse. Maybe, maybe there's been abuse of your kids. Maybe you lied to your parents. Maybe pornography has a hold on your life. Or, or, or the list could go on and on. And those sins have left some pretty deep scars that you have tried to hide, but the guilt keeps coming back up. You, you've prayed for forgiveness, but you're just not sure that he heard you and forgave you. Well, maybe today is the day that you take the focus off your failure and you look up and you see Jesus standing on the shore inviting you to come and eat. Folks, not only will Jesus offer forgiveness and healing to you, but he'll also put you to work taking care of his sheep. He did it with many whom he came in contact with. There was a ragtag bunch of 12. There was a guy named Zacchaeus. There was a woman that he met at a well who wasn't married and was living with a man. There was a guy who didn't just deny him once or twice, but three times. He's using friends of mine like Gary, who's a recovering alcoholic, and a lady named Robin, whose life has been impacted by alcohol to be a blessing to many in Alcoholics Anonymous and in Al-Anon. He's using my buddy Dale, who spent 10 years in prison, but who is now helping families, especially kids that are impacted by incarceration. He's using a guy named Todd, who only a few years ago would have fought you at the drop of a hat, but now is doing some crazy good stuff in kids' ministry. And I hope he's using me. But sometimes 
We have to be broken so that Jesus can help us become all that he knows we can be and all that he intended for us to be. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. What will be the rest of your story? It's not over. Regardless of what you think or what people have said, your story isn't finished. The ending can be changed and it can start today if you want it to. Please reach out to us today and let us talk with you.